Aidan Moore was traveling south. He had left his home the day prior, hiking through forests and glens toward the city of Veldast to visit his brother, who had made a bit of a name for himself as a stonemason working for the king. Aidan had walked the route before, two days through the wilderness to reach the highway, then another two days to reach the city. There were a few homesteads and tiny hamlets you had passed by throughout the first leg of the trip, but for the most part, he was alone in the wilderness until he reached the road's civilizing influence. That knowledge must have been at the forefront of his mind when he stumbled upon the shrine. It wasn't what you might expect when you hear the word shrine. In the middle of a small clearing, a large flat stone had been placed at the foot of a massive tree, forming a low table of sorts. A coarse layer of evergreen needles lay scattered on and around the rudimentary altar, a testament to how long it must have been since a human attended to it. There was no gilding, there were no offerings, nothing at all to mark the altar significance except for a pair of antlers, pitted and worn, stained a dark brown by time. Even tarnished as they were, they were impressive. Over five feet across, with each antler bearing a tangled, irregular mass of prongs. Aiden instantly understood the significance of the altar. He brushed the pine needles aside, removing years of accumulated debris from the stone. Rifling through his belongings, he deposited a small trinket, a talisman he had made before setting out on his journey. It was offered to the stag altar, along with a brief prayer and a request for safe passage through the forest. Satisfied that he had done all that was expected of him, Aiden continued southward towards the highway. There was one very telling detail that Aiden had recognized. It wasn't the altar itself. No, it was the tree behind it that had tipped him off about the altar's purpose. The tree, as it happened, was a yew tree. Trees have a great many associations in folklore. Some are good omens, bringing fortune in life. Others offer protection or shelter. Yew trees, on the other hand, are harbingers of death. Herders who grazed cattle near yew trees would regularly find their livestock dead after eating the tree's needles, and children who made the unfortunate mistake of eating berries from the tree passed away just as quickly. They say that so much as drinking from a cup made of yew marks the drinker for death within a year and a day. The wild deer that roam the forests of Veldrun, on the other hand, were unharmed by the tree's poisonous leaves, fruit, and bark. It's only natural, then, the tree gained a reputation for being a sentinel, standing guard against the encroachment of civilization, a silent, vengeful protector of the wilderness. And that's not the only connection between the yew tree and death. Yew was the material of choice for manufacturing longbows, where its strength and flexibility made it a potent weapon. Where folklore had previously designated it as a force of nature manifesting against humanity, a second line was drawn between the yew and war. It seemed that the tree was almost uniquely suited for death, whether by poison or by arrow. Aiden certainly understood that fact. He knew, between the tree and the antlers, that the shrine was an altar to Asconhir, a guardian spirit of the forest. It had likely been left for travelers to ask for protection as they journeyed through the Skanhir's domain. Maybe it was a relic from a time long ago when someone made their home near that tree. It's hard to say with certainty. But either way, it was a clear, unspoken statement. 
This forest does not belong to humans. Make peace with its guardian or face the consequences. Welcome to a world very much like our own, but with a crucial difference. In this world, folklore is rooted in stark reality. My name is John Kernett, and I'll be guiding you through stories of strange events, close encounters, political conflicts, and tragic history, all set in a unique world that blends reality and mythology. This is the Wayfarer's Compendium. Yew is far from the only tree to gain such an unsettling reputation. In the year 322 by the North Tide calendar, near the village of Byerskald, a crofter named Irakir purchased a contract for a small plot of land with the intention of clearing it and starting a farm of his own. The plot was beautiful. A thicket of alder trees alongside a babbling brook with a small field surrounding it. Every day as the sun crested over the horizon, the early morning mist would be illuminated with an ethereal golden glow, giving it an almost fairy tale look. The land itself was fertile loam and clay, perfect for tilling once the trees were cleared. Under normal circumstances, a crofter like Irakir shouldn't have been able to afford the contract at all. As you may have guessed, however, circumstances were anything but normal. Deep within the alder grove, right next to the banks of the stream, was a solitary elder tree. Even if you don't know of the tree firsthand, you may have heard of a drink brewed from its berries, elderberry wine. The tree itself is honestly not all that impressive. It grows quickly, but not to the grand heights of pine or with the ancient grandeur of oak. Its branches are gnarled with coarse bark. In the spring, it covers itself with delicate clusters of white flowers shedding them as the summer approaches. It would be understandable to question why this tree was so significant, but to answer that question we need to turn to folklore. There are few trees with reputations as mixed as that of the elder. Depending on who you ask, they can be benevolent or malevolent, kind or cruel. From what we know, it certainly seems that the denizens of Byerskald viewed this elder tree as the latter. The locals claimed that the tree was the home of an elder mother, a capricious and dangerous fairy. They called her Cronchi, or quite literally, the tree fairy. Stories were told at night over tankards of ale about folk who had explored the grove and been chased out under the light of the full moon, but nothing was verifiable, and to Irakir, who wasn't a native of the region, the stories reeked of exaggeration and make-believe. He had found a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and nobody could talk him out of it. He set to work clearing the land and erecting a homestead for himself and his family. The alder thicket quickly gave way to his axe, and it wasn't long before he reached the elder tree. Without hesitation, he felled it as well. Life was difficult at first. 
There was no assistance forthcoming from Irakir's neighbors, not just because of the farm's somewhat remote location. Nobody wanted to risk an encounter with the elder mother who had been so cruelly evicted from her home. Not that anything was amiss from Irakir's perspective. There had been no retaliation, no attacks by enraged spirits. Regardless of how hard that first winter was, he had been vindicated in his disbelief. As Elftide passed and spring began to thaw the land, he and his sons began working the fields. Their comfortable, albeit small, house sat next to the brook in the middle of the alder thicket, right where the elder tree had once stood. For a time, life was good. Unfortunately for Irakir and his family, that peace would not last long. You see, Irakir had purchased the contract for his land from its previous holder, but the land itself belonged to Asbjorn Tyrden, the lord of Clan Tyrden. Under the feudal system that had evolved in the kingdom of Miringard, the clan owned all of the land surrounding Byerskald, leasing out parcels in perpetuity to their subjects who then paid taxes back to the clan. The Tyrden clan were bitter rivals with the Kald clan to the north. In the spring of the year 324, only two years after Irakir's purchase, tensions boiled over into outright conflict. The men-at-arms of the northern clan marched south towards Byerskald, only to be met by the forces of clan Tyrden outside the town. I won't go into the details of the war, that's a story for another day, but the battle was a pirate victory for the Tyrden clan. Both sides were decimated and retreated to lick their wounds without any territory changing hands. In a bittersweet way, the residents of Byerskald were relieved. Although many men had died, if the called men-at-arms had reached the village, its denizens would have faced looting, arson, and worse. At the very least, their homes and livelihoods had been spared. I should add that there's a slight caveat to that last statement. The village of Byerskald had been spared, yes. The same could not be said for the outlying homesteads that surrounded it. As fate would have it, Irakir's farm was directly north of the village, and directly in the path of the northern clan's march to the south. Irakir and his two eldest sons were killed defending their home, while his wife and remaining children fled to the relative safety of the village. The house, which they had hoped to live the remainder of their lives in, was looted and burned to the ground. Life in Byerskald returned to some semblance of normalcy over the coming months. The following winter was difficult for everyone. Unusually harsh weather, combined with the lack of manpower, meant that the harvest was poor, and the villagers had to conserve what little food they had. Eventually, spring arrived once more. By then, Irakir's widow had settled down in the village proper. Condolences had been offered, but they were marred by rumors about the elder tree. For every offering of sympathy, there was an undertone of suspicion. If only Irakir hadn't chosen that plot. If only he had listened to the warnings. The gossip was absurd, of course. Irakir hadn't been killed by an elder mother, nor had fairies burned down the farmhouse. It was bad luck and war that had brought tragedy to his family. Nothing supernatural about it. There was one fact that muddied the waters, however, stirring up suspicion when the Elder Tree may have otherwise been forgotten. After the house had been burned down, a neighbor mustered up the courage to comb through the ruins and see if anything could be salvaged for the members of Irakir's family that had survived. It was a grim, fruitless task. The called soldiers had been thorough in their raiding, 
and the fire had taken the rest. There was, however, one notable anomaly. Amidst the ash and charcoal, a small piece of greenery had already sprouted. Right in the center of the house's ruins, a small sapling was growing. An elder sapling, to be precise. It seemed that the elder mother might not have left after all. We've spent quite some time talking about the perils of you and Elder, but not all trees have such foreboding reputations. It was early in the night when Lars passed by Kuan's Tor. The Tor was a small, rocky hill jutting up through the trees, and it had a reputation amongst the locals. Supposedly, it was the home of an elf named, as you might expect, Kuan. According to the stories, he lived in the crags of the hill, or possibly in the Elder trees that grew around it. Regardless of which telling you choose to believe, it was widely known that the hill should be avoided, especially at night. Lars, however, was almost home. Rather than set up camp as the sun dipped below the horizon, he thought it best to press onward and get home late that night, hopefully before midnight. The road was easy enough to follow in the moonlight, and he knew the area well. He was a practical man, not the sort to be spooked by fairy tales in the dark. By the time he passed the hill, any concerns he may have had faded. Kuan if even existed, was far behind him. There was a spring in his step as he continued down the road, thinking about the warm hearth and comfortable bed that awaited him. That daydream was shattered when he heard a howl in the distance in the direction of the tor. The forest suddenly felt less hospitable. The nightingales and crickets fell silent, leaving only the sound of the wind through the leaves. The cold moonlight that had previously illuminated the road now seemed to cast deep shadows through the forest surrounding Lars, and the spring in his step faded to a nervous stride. All at once, the fairy tales seemed much more real. He told himself that it was a solitary wolf, far away, and kept walking. Time passed. It was maybe 15 minutes later when he heard the second howl, this time much closer. It resonated through the trees, sawing at Lars' frayed nerves. He broke into a run. The dirt road wound through the forest and hills, slipping between pale moonlight and pitch blackness as it passed under the surrounding trees' canopies. The traveler's footsteps echoed through the night, accompanied by another rhythmic sound. Hooves. Somewhere not far behind, a rider on horseback was following him. In terror, Lars ducked off of the road and hid amongst the underbrush. The sound of hooves grew louder and louder before slowing. He could hear another sound, that of a hound panting. Motionless and breathless, Lars waited. After an agonizingly long time, the hooves sounded again and the rider continued onward. Lars didn't dare return to the road, but the alternative was to seek out a path through the forest itself, a daunting prospect even in broad daylight. Should he return to the path and risk another encounter? Or should he take to the woods and risk losing his way? While he weighed his options, he leaned back against a nearby tree. It was small, little more than a tall shrub. Its bark was dark in the moonlight, and clusters of deep crimson berries hung from its branches. As Lars considered his options, he realized that, just maybe, luck had turned in his favor. The tree he was sitting under was a rowan tree. 
of all the trees that folklore speaks of, few are as potent as the rowan. In the northern reaches of the isle, people called it the daughter of the mountain for its hardiness and endurance in harsh climates. It was said to offer protection from evil. Shepherds would shape its twigs into small talismans that they would hang around their livestock's necks to protect them and prevent them from getting lost. It wasn't uncommon to find similar objects hanging above the threshold of remote farmhouses, placed there in the hopes that spirits would be unable to enter the home. Other stories claim that travelers who found a rowan tree would be guided to their destination safely. Those stories gave rise to another name, the Wayfarer's Tree. Lars made a decision. If fate had guided him to the rowan tree, then perhaps it would also guide him home. Taking a few twigs from the tree, he twisted them together and fashioned them into a charm. True to the stories, a circle of rowan bound without nail or rope and set off into the forest. Picking his way through the undergrowth proved much slower than walking along the road. He often had to stop in the darkness to disentangle himself from brambles, and his hope gradually wore down to a new low as he accumulated minor scrapes and bruises. His talisman hung loosely around his left wrist. It was only when he heard the faint sound of water trickling in the distance that his spirits lifted. You see, Lars lived in the very same village as poor Irakir, Byerskald. The same stream that the elder tree had grown next to flowed south towards the village itself, where Lars' house lay. The sound of running water could only mean that he had made it home safely. Sure enough, the forest thinned and moonlight shone on the rickety wooden bridge that provided a safe crossing into Byerskald. The wayfarer's tree had brought him safely home, right back to the road. You can imagine Lars' relief as he crossed the bridge. The rider and his hound seemed so long ago, almost like a bad dream. Perhaps he had just imagined the whole thing, a hallucination brought on by walking countless miles and lack of sleep. As he approached the town's gate, however, something compelled him to look back. There, standing motionless just across the bridge, was a rider on horseback, cloaked in a featureless black cowl. Heeled at his side was a hound. How long they had stood there, Lars couldn't say. Maybe the Rowan Talisman had provided more than just guidance. Maybe it had provided protection as well. If you enjoy the Wayfarer's Compendium, the best way to support the podcast is to share it with your friends. Thank you for listening.